Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the River Heights Buzz Podcast. We're on episode 79 today. We're your hosts. I'm Alexa. And I'm Candace. And I don't know if it picked it up or not, but literally as Alexa hit record, one of my dogs burped. (laughs) And I heard it, but I don't know if the recording is going to pick it up. But needless to say, I have my entire dog crew here. So apologies in advance. I heard it. (laughs) That's why I was just like, oh my God. That's why you kind of heard me giggle a little bit just as we started off. It's never (sighs) a moment, right? No. That's fun, though. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're going to be talking about mystery story number 22, The Clue in the Crumbling Wall. I don't think there's really any newsworthy stuff going on. No, I mean, um, you know, I feel like most of our um, listeners know we sometimes record things out of order. Um, So by the time this is going up, this is going to be old news, hopefully at that point. Um, But I mean, you know, we're all just anxiously awaiting for every little tidbit that Her Interactive is releasing about uh, game number 34. Um, We're getting closer and closer. We're recording this on this particular episode on April 19th. Um, We're getting closer and closer to Nancy's, um, I guess you could say birthday, which is April 28th, I think. And I just, I keep, I have this feeling in my gut that we're going to get something on that day. Am I wrong? And that just so happens that when this episode is coming out, so. Oh, okay. Well, see, there you go. Yep. 93 years ago, on April 28th, 1930, the first three Nancy Drew books were released. Actually, that's perfect. I didn't realize that. That that works. Okay. Um, I don't know why. Uh, ever since April 1st, with that little teaser that we all thought was an April Fool's joke, uh, I just had this feeling in my stomach. I think we might find something out on the 28th, so I'm going to remain cautiously optimistic. Megan, editor Megan, you're feel, feel free to add stuff in. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I'm right. <laughs> Hopefully. As I'm recording this, so far all we've gotten today is a video. This video has Brittany Cox, the voice of Nancy Drew, talking again about Nancy's birthday and old friends and new friends. And the video confirmed that Frank and Joe, Ned Nickerson, and Carson Drew will all be in it, but it has not been confirmed from that video if they're just phone characters or if they are actual game characters. We also finally get to meet an all-new character for this new game. His name is Radic, which is interesting because I saw people saying that that is a name of Slavic origin. So another hint to the game location? They also show us development shots in this video. So it's the first time we're getting to see like an actual full character in this new game world. And it is beautiful. The character looks awesome and the movements look flawless. It just looks great. But so far, that's all we've gotten today, and I'm not super sure if we'll be getting anything else. There was no clock emoji in the caption this time. So I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I think without any further ado, we should jump right in, shall we, Candace? Yeah. A sprawling estate was willed to a dancer who has vanished several years earlier. During their investigation at Heath Castle, Nancy Bess and George realize that its crumbling walls contain a secret, but what is it? 
They search for clues in the neglected gardens of the vast estate, hoping to find a lead to the missing woman. Danger larks in a castle tower and throughout the vine-tangled grounds as Nancy exposes a sinister plot to defraud the dancer of her inheritance. I read the revised version. Did you, Candace? Uh, yeah, as far as I know, yeah. Okay. Apparently this was first published February 1st, 1945. I guess the updated version was February 1st, 1975. This book was released on February 15th, 1945. I'm not sure why online it says February 1st, because it was definitely February 15th, according to the Ferris Guide, 12th edition. And also, the revised sex version date does not sound right either. The Ferris Guide does not have a month or date, but I highly, highly doubt it was also in February and supposedly on the 1st. <laughs> and it was 1973, not 1975, so there's a lot of wrong information about Nancy Drew out there, so... I don't know, but that is not correct. <laughs> it was written by Mildred Ware Benson. The plot outline was done by Harriet Adams. The editing was done by Harriet Adams. And the revision was done by Harriet Adams. The original text version was in print from 1945 to 1972. And the revised text version is still in print today. The original text version had 217 pages, while the revised text version has 181 pages. And as usual, the original text version had 25 chapters, and the revised text version has 20 chapters. Russell Tandy did the first cover art, and Rudy Nappy did the second and third cover art. A fun fact about that is that Rudy Nappy actually posed for the second cover art. He's the man on the left on that cover. So first things first, I'm going to skip around just a, a little bit here. Um, when they were talking about, like, that garden, um, this is really skipping ahead. As I was reading it, um, I kept imagining the garden in... Um, Treasure in the Royal Tower. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's just how I was picturing it in my head. Um, and then also, this is skipping back forward, or going <laughs> back, I guess. Um, is this the first book that we have read and discussed on here that we've had that much of a time crunch to solve a mystery? I think so. I feel like it is, um, and I feel like it made, um, I feel like it made the whole situation more dire and more serious that we were under a three-week time crunch, which I'll explain in just a second. Um, I felt like it really helped move the story along, though. Yeah. So. Um, it almost reminds me of the final scene, in a way. Yeah. In the final way. scene, you know, the three-day time crunch, mm -hmm. this book, three weeks. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I feel like that's probably, and here I go into the, the speakeasy, but I can't help it because you mentioned the final scene. So, really, it's all your fault. So, you can blame Alexa for this tangent. But I feel like that is one of the strong points of that game is that timeline that we have to go by and it keeps you focused on the bigger picture of what you have to do um and i think that's really one of the shining parts of um that particular game yeah. so i feel like kind of same scenario here it kind of 
you know, held Nancy accountable. Not that she's not held accountable with her other cases, but it was just a little something extra to keep her going. Yeah. Um, so without further ado, let's dive into this. Um, so once again, um, Nancy's in the middle of a storm. <laughs> I swear like the last five or six books that we've talked about, there's been at least one storm. Yeah. But I mean, you know, Midwest, we get a lot of storms. So Nancy's rushing home in the middle of a storm and um, there's this police woman that's at her house that needs her help. And um, her name is Lieutenant Masters and she apparently works with juveniles and she has this case. Here's my first deal with this one. We're at my first question. She has a case with an eight-year-old named Joan Fenimore. Okay, I feel like, and it might have been different when this book was written or revised. You're not going to talk about juveniles because you can't. It's confidential. Yeah. I can look past it, though. Um, so this police lieutenant has this case with this little girl. Um, this little girl's aunt was uh, a well-known dancer named Juliana, and she apparently disappeared. Um, she has to be found in three weeks. Otherwise, she forfeits this inheritance that was left to her. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. So this police officer asks Nancy if she'll meet with her later that afternoon to go over more details because she was really just kind of giving her, you know, the main high points. So we find out that this inheritance is this place called Heath Castle, which is like this really big, abandoned, spooky estate. Um, um, and can we, can we add Castle to River Heights? Yeah. To our list? Yeah, because I guess this, yeah, I guess it is in River Heights. So there's a castle, uh, a, a theater. A museum. Museum. What else is there? There's something else big and weird there. There's lots of like specialty shops. Yeah. Um, which and I, I feel like we've said this before. There's really not like like a, a distinct description of River Heights, but I always picture it in my head like your average small american town yeah yet it has all this stuff in it uh-huh <laughs> really doesn't make sense really doesn't fit the kind of image i see in my head and i feel like a lot of people kind of see it that way too for some reason i just thought about have you ever heard of murder she wrote yeah so for some reason because murder she wrote is based in cabot cove for some reason river heights reminds me of that size of a town not that yeah. big yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, not, that's, that's why it's kind of, it's weird. And it, it's almost kind of along the lines of how we always talk about Nancy knows how to literally do everything. Yeah. Like, I mean, once again, this is Nancy's world and we're all just living in it. <laughs> so, you know, go figure. Nancy and Hannah are talking when, um, Nancy realizes that two of her rose bushes were completely dug up and were missing. 
so random, but okay. Hannah then mentions that there's been thefts of flowers in the neighborhood lately. Again, it's the most random thing ever to steal. Like who would, who would steal plants in the ground? And we learn this later that the eight-year-old took the flowers. Mm-hmm. How can an eight-year-old carry two big flowers, flower bushes, with her two tiny little arms? Yeah, because in my head, I'm I'm thinking that they're like, you know, rose bushes are a good size. And how is she going to, another question, how is she going to dig it up correctly in, by that I mean, like not damaging the root system? Yeah. Not killing the plant. Yeah. You think a kid is really, an eight-year-old kid is going to dig enough and deep enough to not damage the root system? No. 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 Doesn't happen. No. But anyways, once again, I can look past. And once again, like you had said earlier about the whole juvenile thing, you know, confidentiality stuff. Example A. Again, confidentiality problems. Yeah. Like, I feel like every single book that we've read, there's something to do with confidentiality being compromised. Yeah. And that should not be happening. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Which... It brings about another thing that I think about a lot in that another thing that leads me to think that River Heights is a small community is that Nancy has such a close relationship with all the police, not just like one or two police officers, but all the police in River Heights, that she can get pretty much anything done that she wants. Like, you know what I mean? It just doesn't happen that way. And I get it. It's a book. It's fake. I understand. But it's like... She should not get special treatment. Yeah, everything just always works out in her favor. It's also a children's book. Like, when I read this as a kid, I didn't think about any of this stuff. We're reading these as adults, so we're going to think differently than what the authors would expect because they were writing towards children, you know? Anyways, so Hannah and Nancy eat lunch, and then they go outside to look at the storm damage from earlier to the other plants that she has. Um, when Nancy hears a man named Salty, who is an old sailor. Okay, so <laughs> here's my issue with that. I also, in my brain, I know River Heights is fictional. But in my brain, it's landlocked. Why would an old sailor go somewhere that's landlocked? I understand there's a river there. Rivers are not like oceans, though. Yeah. I wouldn't think that an old sailor who had sailed for years and years and years would want to retire, air quotes, retire to a place that's landlocked like that. Yeah. And he has to be at least Hannah's age, I would think. If not older. Yeah. Mid to late 60s, maybe in his 70s. That's what I was thinking. At least. Yeah. You know, and he in the picture I saw, it's almost like he's pushing a wheelbarrow, you know, and like that. If you have that many clams and stuff, that's not light. That's heavy. Yeah. So. Yeah. But oh well. Once again, I'm gonna look past it. I swear, I liked this book. It doesn't sound like it, but I liked this book, and I'll get to it when we get to the end. But, um. So 
like you said, he was selling clams, so they buy some, um, you know, kind of thinking that maybe there might be a pearl in them. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing. I just thought about the show for a second when, remember when George had to go do the clams and she, <laughs> she had to go shucking them? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought about what she, I got better go shuck myself. <laughs> yeah. I so, forgot about that. So Hannah and Nancy had to go shucking these clams. Yeah. So. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, so Nancy opens up all the clams, and on the last one, of course, she finds a pearl. So she decides to take it to Sam Weatherby, who deals with jewelry. He has like a curio shop. That's his thing. A so, curio shop, like. What is it? What's the game? Um, oh, God. Henry Bole. Legend of the Crystal Skull. Zeke's. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, imagining in my head, kind of like that. Look at that. Three, thing, you know? three games we mentioned, and we're only in chapter one. <laughs> I know. I, you know, I. It, that's the way my brain works. I like connect everything back to try to make it make sense to me. You know. Yep. I, I hope other people are like that, and it's not just me. But anyways. <laughs> hey, I'm with you in this, Candace. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> um. So Nancy gets to Mr. Weatherby's shop, and he's dealing with a rude customer, which is the worst. Um. So Nancy's waiting around, but then. Um, he looks at the pearl and we find out that it's a river pearl, which makes sense because like I said, you know, River Heights is supposed to be in Illinois. Obviously, Illinois is a landlocked state. Um, so since it's a river pearl, it's not worth that much. But Mr. Weatherby said he'll buy it if she'll bring the clamshell with it so that he can display them both, which that makes sense. Um, so Nancy left and was kind of just walking around like window shopping and someone comes up close to her and then takes her purse. Again. And another book. Her book, her uh-huh. purse gets stolen. Yeah. I feel like that's a recurring theme too. Happens a lot. Uh-huh. Um, so of course she chases after him and, uh, it started like getting the attention of other people in the street as well. And so other people were trying to help too when they figured out what was going on, but the guy gets away. So she reports it to the police along with the missing rose bushes. She's really concerned about these rose bushes. Like, uh-huh. I feel like if that was me, I would just cut my losses and maybe plant something else or, or not worry about it. I mean, uh, okay. Like, I, I, I guess like there would be people that are like Nancy that are like, I want my plants back. Get yeah. me my plants. Yeah. You know? But it's just like, well, you just said if I if you know that you're prob- most likely not going to get them back, it's like a very good chance. Just like go get some new ones. Yeah. You know, I just hope this they don't get stolen again. Yeah, I mean, especially back then, it couldn't have been that expensive, right? No, I don't think, think so. Yeah. Uh, she was talking to Lieutenant Masters about it, and she thinks that it might have been Joan who um, stole flowers because somebody else in the neighborhood had described her apparently taking flowers and she's obviously been in trouble lately, which is why Lieutenant Masters is dealing with her case. 
Um, so we find out that uh, Joan's father is deceased and her mother is ill and very poor. So they're like going through it. So Lieutenant Masters takes Nancy to Joan's house and they see the little girl and the little girl asks if she's getting arrested. <laughs> Which is like, that's kind of pitiful. But, yeah. you know. Um, so uh, Joan says that she takes the flowers because they're pretty and her family can never afford to buy anything nice. Again, that's like super sad. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it okay. But it's sad. She said that a neighbor boy named Teddy gave her the idea to take the flowers. Um, and then Joan says something about wishing that her Aunt Juliana was there because she could buy them things. So now we're kind of, you know, starting to figure some things out. So Joan's mother was inside the house. So Nancy and Lieutenant Masters went inside to speak with her. Um, and despite being a, a young woman, she looked very old, I assume, because she was so sick. Um, and she starts telling Nancy about Juliana and how she was going to go away for a month, but then she never returned. And that was 10 years ago. Juliana was engaged to a wealthy manufacturer named Walter Heath, but he died five years after she had left. And in his will, he left her his house and everything he owned. Um, but his will had a stipulation that if Juliana wasn't found in five years' time, that the mansion would be sold and the money donated to various charities of his choosing. And now the time's running out. I mean... So he died, what, five years after she left? Yes. And it was a five-year stipulation in the will, which means it's been ten years. Oh, okay. So, I mean, worst-case scenario, if she hadn't been found... I mean, as long as, and I'm skipping ahead again, as long as that, you know, jerk attorney wasn't in the picture, the money was going to go to something good. Yeah. So, I mean, not the worst of situations, but where Joan and her mother really need money, it's a tough call, you know? And this reminds me of the one of the other books we did, Clue in the, the Clue in the Diary, where money was so little in the families and they were like both this family and the last one were struggling so much. Yeah. You know, so. Which I think that was an earlier book too, right? Uh, that one was book number seven. Yeah. So I feel like it was written during a time where a lot, like I feel like your average family probably struggled in some capacity at that time. So I feel like that was kind of a recurring theme, especially for the, the older books. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of relevant for the time that those books were written. So it makes sense. Yeah. Nancy is really eager to start working on this mystery. And after a while, she and Lieutenant Masters leave and head back to the police station. Nancy's purse eventually was found with just money and the pearl missing. And she's like, okay, you know, whatever. That sucks. But, you know, at least I have my purse back. Um, so she heads home and the next day she tells Bess and George about what's going on. And of course they want to help. Um, so the girls decide to rent a boat to go to the castle because it'll be easier to get there since everything is so overgrown. Cause like I said, it was abandoned. No one's been taking care of it. It's been in disrepair for several years. They're on their way and then they hear another boat coming and this other boat hits their boat. So I... <laughs> Broke down like the the uh, Bess and George were kind of like 
throwing out the water because mm-hmm. it was kind of leaking a little bit. This reminds me almost of one of your favorite games with ghost dogs. We have to clean out the boat. <laughs> Gotta have some torque. <laughs> when, when the other boat hit the girl's boat, it almost reminds me of like a cartoon, you know, when they just like fly up in the air and the, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. It was essentially like a hit and run just in a boat. So the, the other person in the other boat took off and poor Bess was thrown overboard and she hit her head. That's serious. Like she fell in the water and hit her head and was kind of like out of it. Like you could drown. Like, you know, scary. Um, so George dove in after her and rescued her and she ended up being okay, which is good because we love Bess. After all that fiasco, they decided to turn around and go home so that Bess um, could rest. And the man that they rented the boat from wasn't mad about what happened and said his insurance would take care of their repair and that it would only be $25. Yeah. I mean, your boat just got hit by another boat and it's only going to cost $25. That's a big difference. Yeah. Like, okay, whatever you say. Must have really good insurance. So $25 in 1945 is equivalent to $490.22 today. So it does kind of make sense. And they probably didn't bother changing the price for the revision in the 70s, so. (laughs) So the next day, Nancy and Bess go to see Salty to see if he knows who owns the boat that hit the girls. Um, And he tells them all about the shells that he had gotten from Walter's dad and about the button factory that Walter's dad had that was now closed down and how it was in the inlet where the girls got hit. So they were really close by to this kind of area that they were heading to. Um, He didn't recognize the description of who hit them, but he said that he'd keep his eyes open for them. So the girls leave, the weather is bad. So they decide to try to go to the castle again the next day when George has the chance to join them. So Nancy heads home, and magically her rose bushes have been brought back. Ta-da! So Carson then gets home from his trip that he was on, and Nancy fills him in on everything that's going on. He knew of Walter's family, because of course Carson knows everybody, and everybody knows Carson. (laughs) And he kind of knew Juliana, and Carson said that that rude person that Nancy encountered at um, Mr. Weatherby's shop was an attorney named Daniel Hector, and he happened to be the executor of the estate, the Heath estate. Oh, so, of course, you know how that goes. Um, so the next day, the girls decide that they're going to drive to the castle and the road is super rough. But they finally get there and they find the gate padlocked. Again, that makes sense. Being abandoned, no one's supposed to be there. So they climb over the fence and start on the path towards the house and they see another building on the property and Nancy is convinced that someone or something is watching them. Terrifying. Um, So Nancy tries to climb over another wall and ends up falling. So the girls decide to try again another day because it also looks like the weather is going to get bad again. I mean, is this, taking place in the springtime like (laughs) there's a lot of storms (laughs) it must be um so and it it seems like there's been so many times where they tried to go but the weather has been so bad that they had to go a different time (laughs) yeah weird another Mm -hmm. reoccurring theme (laughs) 
Um, so uh, they attempt to head back to the car, but they get lost after a while. But they eventually find their way back to the boundary wall and they get back to the car just as the rain starts. Um, so Nancy then drops the girls off at home and then she herself goes home as well. So she calls Lieutenant Masters and asks about Juliana's bank accounts and learns that there were none, but she had a lot of cash in her apartment in New York, but she had bills. And once all the bills were paid after she took off, nothing was left. Um, so Nancy decides to go with Lieutenant Masters to see Walter's will the next day. And it says that Juliana will show something special to prove that she's not an imposter and, of course, Nancy wonders what that could mean. Mm -hmm. Very vague. So they decide to go see Joan's mother again and ask her questions about Juliana. And she shows Nancy pictures of her. So now we at least kind of know what she looked like, at least back then. She's convinced that the executor of the estate, that uh, Hector, Daniel Hector guy, is pretending to look for Juliana. And she needs Nancy to solve this mystery. Um, so they leave and Nancy goes on a brief walk to kind of collect her thoughts, think things through. And she sees Teddy and Joan playing together with a dog and Teddy hits this dog. And Nancy stops him and takes Joan home. I'm just saying, if I saw a kid hurting a dog, you know how I am about my dogs. Yep. Over for that kid. Like, how many books have we read that a dog has been hurt in some way? I don't like it. And this kid did it deliberately. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, back off. Nancy had a right to put her foot down. Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Like I said, she takes Joan home. Um, she then decides that she's going to go see Salty to see if he has any news or information for her about the guy that um, hit them with the boat. And he doesn't. But he tells Nancy if she goes clamming with him later He'll take her to the inlet and to that old button factory, which is something she needs to investigate anyways. So Nancy goes back later that afternoon with George and they head that way and discover someone or multiple people are up there. And there's a boat that has damage to it, like the one that hit the girls. Obviously, these people shouldn't be up there. That factory in that area is also abandoned, so no one should be there for any reason. So Nancy and George go to investigate, and they leave Salty at the boat to try to stop the people if they try to escape. Okay, Nancy and George make it to the factory and hear some men getting away, and then all of a sudden there's this explosion, and walls and plaster start coming down. And Nancy gets thrown into a closet and kind of lose con loses consciousness, but she finally comes to... And Salty and George have to dig her out. Like, so how? dramatic. Oh, gosh. And once again, no medical attention. Because that's how we roll, apparently, in River Heights. So they end up leaving after realizing the two men got away on the damaged boat. So the girls and Salty head back to town. Nancy goes home, tells Carson everything, and asks for his help. Um, he's reluctant to think that the executor is behind anything nefarious, but he promises to help Nancy since there is such a time crunch like we discussed earlier. So next day, Nancy and Carson go back to the factory and look around and find they find a note that says, Dear C, <laughs> this note is cut in half, so I'm literally going to read it the way that it was written in the book. So Dear C, some crit which I and a wall famous worthy. 
makes no sense. Nope. <laughs> they continue looking around, realize that there are fresh, fresh footprints in the dust from the explosion. I got a joke. Okay, I'm ready. You know how, like, footprints in on the ground and the guys got away? Uh-huh. Another one bites the dust. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know me. Oh, man. That was a dad joke. Uh-huh. 100%. Um, I got another one about rain. Okay, I'm ready. What happens when you when it rains cats and dogs? I don't know. You have to be careful not to step in a poodle. <laughs> that one is even worse. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Uh-huh. Um, and why did the gardener plant light bulbs? I deal with the whole plant thing. I don't know. She wanted to grow a power plant. (laughs) I wish you all could see my face right now. (sighs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Good grief. (laughs) (sighs) Man. Where did I leave off in my notes? Oh. Sorry. I got you so distracted. You did. You did. I lost my train of thought. Um, so the note seems old. And Nancy thinks that Walter might have written it. Fair enough. So she ends up telling Hannah about it. And Hannah thinks that there could be examples of his writing at the his the historical society so nancy decides to go there and it does turn out to be the same handwriting so nancy wonders if daniel hector has the rest of the note but don't know for sure yet so nancy had carson talk to daniel about the matter and he didn't really say much about it um it was kind of a strange meeting. Um, he said he was still searching for Juliana, and that was about it. He kind of just left it at that. Um, Nancy wanted to go back to the castle to investigate, but Carson made her promise not to go alone, and the girls weren't available to go with her until the next day, so she had to wait. Um, so the next day, the girls pack lunch, head to the castle, and there are dogs there that are guarding the castle, but they seem to be tame enough that Nancy and George can climb over the wall. Um, And Bess stays behind because she's scared, of course. I mean, you know, I get it. I get it. So Nancy and George explore the area and end up finding a small pond that has salty water and lots of mussels there, um, like clams. George falls in the water. Oh, gosh. And has to take her clothes off so that they can dry. Um, So she hides in like a tool shed kind of building. Ghost dog vibes. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Um, so uh, they're kind of still exploring, uh, and Bess realizes that someone is coming up in a car, and from Nancy's description, it looks like Daniel Hector, the attorney. Um, he gets out of the car and unlocks the gate, so Bess comes out from where she was hiding and gets in his car, which that's very brave of Bess. That was like a best thinking on her feet kind of moment um gets in his car so that she can get into the locked area to try to warn nancy and george so Bess and daniel go through the gates and then he takes off uh 
at this point kind of switches gears and Nancy has gone searching by herself, leaving George in that tool shed by herself like, while she's waiting for her clothes to dry. But then all of a sudden a boy comes out and takes off with George's clothes. So she is stuck in the tool shed. I assume wearing a bra and underwear. I literally wrote that down too. I'm like, I'm hoping she's wearing at least underwear. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know, I feel like back then people were a lot more modest than they are now, but I feel like on the other hand, like you're with your very close friends, one of which is your cousin, like your actual cousin. You're all girls. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you're in a place where you're not familiar with where you are. You're hoping that there's other people that aren't there. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I I see both sides of it, but. I know. Anyways. But even still, I'm like, and Nancy, of course, you know, once Nancy gets in the zone, she's in the zone. Like yeah, she that's true. Especially forgets. Leaving George like that, that's not very nice, but it's also very Nancy at the same time. It's like she doesn't mean anything by it, but you're, you're right. She's like laser focused. She has this idea. She's going to follow through with what she's doing or what she wants to do. And she sees it through. Yeah. Um, but at least, like, I'm glad that Bess came and kind of gave her something to yeah. wear until they got home. Yeah. So she wasn't totally just hopefully in underwear. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, you know. But still, I would be annoyed. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Definitely. I don't, and George was annoyed at this part, right, with Nancy? Yeah, she was. Yeah. I don't blame George at yeah, all. I don't either. I don't either. <laughs> um, so, Nancy ends up seeing Daniel Hector come into the grounds, so she hides, and then she follows him, but then she loses him, but then she finds the castle, so she goes exploring in it, and she finds, like, the area where the towers are, and she ends up getting locked inside of one. Of course she does. And so Nancy, meanwhile, is locked in this tower. George is in the tool shed, hanging out in her underwear. And Bess is walking around trying to find the other two when the dogs come after her. So she has to climb up into a tree. Poor Bess. So much is happening right now. So (laughs) hours go by. Mm-hmm. The dogs finally take off. So Besk is able to get down from the tree and she ends up finding George and George's pants. Well, she gets half her clothes back. I mean, it's better than nothing, I guess. Uh-huh. So Bess and George are together at this point and they get back to the car and they eat the food <laughs> that they had packed because, you know, priorities. Yeah. Um, gotta have some nutrients. So um, then they try to go back over the wall to see where Nancy is, but the dogs won't let them. Um, So meanwhile, Nancy overhears two men talking about how they've blown apart walls looking for something hidden. So something bad is going on here. So Nancy was looking around the tower and she found indentations on the floor of maybe like something like a trap door, but she couldn't pry it open. then suddenly someone unlocked the tower door below her, turned on a flashlight, but Nancy is able to slip past the man and get out of the tower. So she's able to make it past the dogs and get to her car where she finds George asleep. 
because again, priorities. Uh-huh. Um, they fill each other in on everything that's happened. And George tells Nancy that Bess walked to get help. Mm-hmm. Nancy told George that she thought it was Teddy that took her clothes. Bess and Carson arrive at that moment. And everyone is so relieved to be back together again. They all head home. Carson tries to convince Nancy to take a few days break from the case. He's going out of town to a place called Hampton, which is where Juliana might be. So Nancy gives in and decides to go with him. The next morning, Nancy wakes up to a letter from Ned. Carson and Nancy leave shortly after, but Nancy wants to go see Joan's mother first. So they tell her where they are headed. As they were leaving, Nancy sees Teddy's mother hanging up George's shirt. So she went to go talk to her, but she was very evasive and essentially just walked away from Nancy. Um, So Nancy and Carson left to go to Hampton. They got to their hotel. Nancy asked around, didn't find out much information. So she started going to places that rented rooms, like in town. Um, And the last place she went to, a woman said 10 years ago, a woman named Julia Flower had stayed there. And it was... um, the girl in the picture that Nancy had, it was Juliana. So she's going by a fake name at this point. Um, Before leaving the house, she mentioned going to another town to stay on a farm. So Nancy convinced Carson to take her there after he finishes his work in Hampton. Next day, they head to the new city and they stopped the police station because of course, what else are they gonna do to see if anyone knew Juliana? They find out about this woman that had been hit by a car and it was like a hit and run and the woman was taken to the local hospital and the workers there found lots of money on her, but she didn't have any belongings with her. It's very strange. Again, another HIPAA confidentiality thing. They go to this hospital and Nancy learns all about this girl, Julia Flower, like it's no big deal, like confidentiality doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And when this girl was leaving, she was in a wheelchair and was crying because she was told she wouldn't walk right ever again. So this has kind of taken a turn. Yeah. So no one is sure of what happened to her after she left the hospital. Carson went to get them checked into the local hotel. And Nancy went to check another address when she realized that someone was following her. Because that always happens. After she realized, or after he realized he had been Uh, caught he turned around and left so nancy goes back to the hotel she and carson are talking about everything that's happened so far when all of a sudden carson gets up opens the door and the man that followed nancy was there listening to them i guess he heard him on the other side of the door carson accuses the man of listening to their conversation but he denies it but nancy recognizes him as the man that was following her carson gives nancy a clue here's my other beef Carson gives Nancy a clue to go downstairs and get someone to follow this guy since he won't say who he is, but just that he was hired to follow Nancy and report back everything she did and everyone she talked to. He winked at Nancy. How is that saying, go downstairs while I try to cover your tracks and get someone to follow this guy? I would have no idea that was what it meant. Stretch, right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Glad it's not just me. Um, so Nancy being Nancy and knowing everything goes downstairs in the hotel, calls the police and asks for a plainclothes detective to follow the guy. Again, this is a random civilian in a random town where she supposedly, I assume is not known because this is not River Heights. And 
I, I can't imagine being a police officer and getting this random phone call from a girl that's young saying, hey, I need you to send one of your guys in plain clothes to follow this other guy for no reason. I, I, don't, I don't have any proof, really. Yeah. Anything circumstantial. Just, you know, send one of your guys, like, as soon as you can. So correct me if I'm wrong. Do you or do you not need probable cause to track to track somebody? Oh, yeah, you do. I thought so. So, like, all these different things in all these different books, the police just, for the most part, give in to Nancy. Yeah. And, and it's like, like they, they don't have anything else that they're doing. They're just, like, sitting there waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah. They're sitting pretty, you know, like nothing, nothing's going on. I mean, I feel like even though back then there probably wasn't nearly as much crime as there is now, but there was still things going on. Yeah. I can't imagine that they were all just kind of sitting around waiting for something to happen. Yeah. But okay. You know, this sounds really critical. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be super critical of this. It's just, I guess living in today's world is just so different than the world when these books were written. Yeah. A lot of it just doesn't track anymore. It just doesn't make sense anymore. So. Oh my gosh. Once again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. It's just the world has changed. Yeah. So. And th these are just our thoughts, guys. Yes. You know, take with it what you will. Yeah. Nancy goes back to the hotel room to talk to Carson and he suggests calling Hannah to see if there are any messages for them. Um, so Nancy calls Hannah and she said that Mrs. Fenimore had called and said that she thought Nancy was in danger, but she wouldn't explain why to Hannah. So Nancy decides that she's going to go see her the next day since she's heading home the next day. The next day, there was no report from that plainclothes detective. So <coughs> went ahead and went home and Nancy quickly went to see uh, Mrs. Fenimore. She told Nancy that um, Daniel Hector had come asking if she, Mrs. Fenimore, had hired anyone to look for her sister. And she had mentioned that Nancy had offered to help. And then she felt bad saying it. Oh, um, but Nancy being Nancy, she's like, I don't care. I'm not scared of this guy. You know, whatever. Yeah. So Nancy thinks he must be guilty of something because of the way that he's acting, which yeah. that tracks makes sense. Yeah. Um, Nancy told Mrs. Fenimore that there is an interesting lead that she's going to be following that will keep her Nancy away from Daniel Hector. She doesn't go into the fact that she thinks that uh, Juliana is now um, handicapped, which is probably for the best. Um, so Nancy left and went home and took some time to think everything over that had happened so far. Um, she then went back to the torn note that she had found at the factory and began working on figuring it out when George called and wanted to know if there were any updates. And so Nancy told her about Teddy's mom and her clothes. And of course that made George mad and she wanted to tell her off. And Nancy was like, no, you know, we'll deal with that later. Got bigger fish to fry. So Nancy tells George to come over and to bring Bess too, so that she can get them up to date on everything that's happened thus far. Um, so they all take some time to work on that message together. And Bess thinks that she solved it. She thinks that it's 
supposed to say, Dear C, someplace is the secret which I hid in a wall. I want to be famous. If I can sell it, I will be worthy of you. Okay. Nancy then ran down and found a book on English houses because something like clicked in her brain right at, at that moment, as it usually does. And apparently one of the pictures in this book was of the original Heath Castle in England. And she thinks that it might have the clue that they've been looking for this whole time. The words that she pointed to were in Middle English. I don't know what that means. Is that like an old language? I don't know. Something. But of course Nancy can read it, whatever it is. Like, yeah, I'm looking it up now. <laughs> okay. And of course something clicks in Nancy's brain and I have no idea. Yeah, like I don't know how she puts all these things together like am I just dumb or is my brain not work the same way like I I don't know because I feel like a lot of the stuff that she puts together is like kind of a far off reach but of course it all ends up being right you know yeah so this is middle English a period of roughly 300 years from 1150 CE to around 1450 is difficult to identify because it is a time of transition between two eras that each have stronger definition, Old English and Modern English. Before this period, we encounter a language which is chiefly Old Germanic in its character, in its sounds, spellings, grammar, and vocabulary. After this period, we have a language which displays a very different kind of structure, with major changes having taken place in each of these areas many deriving from the influence of French following the Norman conquest of 1066. So, of course, Nancy knows a language that's literally hundreds of years old that nobody else knows. Yeah. Is Nancy living in the right time? No. No, <laughs> she's not. Clearly. Apparently, this paragraph in Middle English apparently translates to, I have hidden my treasures in the niches, niches of the cloister. I don't know what that is. I don't know. <laughs> I assume it means like a tunnel or something like that. That's kind of like the context clues I was getting. But if you want to look that up while I read this, that's fine. Um, I have hidden my treasures in the niches of the cloister through which all unsuspecting the noble men and fair ladies pass each day to bathe. Okay. I've seen these in movies like these. It's almost pretty much is like a tunnel of swords. Okay. Some of the ones I'm seeing that like they're outside. Like it's I'll have to send you a picture of it so you can kind of better get an idea or you can search it up. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely seen these in movies and read about them kind of in some books. Okay. Well, I've literally never heard this word in my life, so I didn't know. So Nancy thinks that since Ira Heath, the guy who built this castle, supposedly built it like the castle in England that he could have followed that idea as well. Then the doorbell rings and it's salty, but he doesn't have any information on the person that ran into Nancy. So Nancy asks if, he, if he's ever noticed like a tunnel near the Heath estate and he says no. Salty says that he'll take them there the next day as long as it doesn't rain, which now in retrospect, I'm like, you're an old like sea sailor like you had to have sailed in storms yeah 
<laughs> Why are you worried about a little bit of rain? Yeah. But anyways. I don't get it. Uh, he says he doesn't know anything about Walter Heath's experiments. Because apparently this guy did experiments. But the curio dealer, Sam Weatherby, from earlier might. Because he apparently used to work at the Heath factory. Everything <laughs> connects. Because it always does. So Bess and George went home at that time. Salty left. So Nancy decided she was going to go to Sam's shop. Um, and Sam confirmed what Nancy thought. Heath had been working on this special dye, but nothing came of it. But he had found a big pearl, and he was going to give it to a lady friend of his, who apparently was a dancer. Juliana, question mark? Yeah. Um, he also mentioned to Sam that he had a treasure that was hidden in plain sight. Yeah. So that is important, so put that in your back pocket for later. So, as Nancy was leaving the shop, she noticed a man's watch chain that Daniel Hector had sold to Weatherby, and there were other matching pieces that had the same exact design. Nancy wondered if Hector had gotten the pieces honestly or not, but she didn't say anything about that. Uh, Nancy then went home and had a missed call from that plainclothes detective in the other town, but he had left a report for her that the man he had tailed had gone to River Heights and then had gone to the Heath factory to meet another man. And by the description of the man, Nancy thought it was the man who had damaged her motorboat. So the next day, the girls meet Salty, and I guess the weather was good because they head to the castle. <laughs> um, they get there, they search around, they quickly find a stone that moves easily in the wall, which could be a secret door, of course. So Nancy pushed it, and it revealed eight steps leading to an arched passageway. So the girls were searching around and they heard men's voices and Nancy recognized them as the voices the night that she was in that tower. They were hammering into the wall and a piece of it fell, which led to an opening where Nancy grabbed a metal box and then the girls took off so that they could go open it. Um, the box contained papers and old pictures, including one of Ira Heath wearing the same charm that's at Sam's shop. So clearly, Daniel Hector did not get this honestly. He took it. And he lied to Sam because he said it was a family heirloom. Frickin' liar. So they continue going through all the pictures and papers, and they end up finding a diary that talks about how Heath was trying to make purple dye from marine mollusks, but that it wasn't lasting, so he was working on the formula. And then the last paragraph in the book says that he's hiding the dye because he doesn't trust the new chauffeur named Biggs, but he doesn't say where he hid the dye. So suddenly the girls hear dogs barking and the men approaching. So they frantically hide the metal box in a nook in the wall, and it sounds like the men are coming closer and closer to where they are trying to hide. The men continue talking to each other, and one called the other Biggs, which automatically made the girls realize that that was the name they just read in the diary. After peeking out, Nancy realized that Big, Biggs was the man that had signaled from the tower. Um, there were footsteps coming towards the men, and it ended up being Teddy, the little kid. Why is he mixed up in all this? I was so confused at first. Um, the boy says that he has to show the men something, but he wants payment for it. Of course he does. Of course the men tell him to go away. They don't have time for him. Um, but they finally give in, and they give him a dollar. Oh, jeez. That's a lot of money back then. Um, 
Teddy told him or tell the boys that or the men that there were footprints that he had found. So all three of them left to go investigate. And then the girls went through some vines and found a secret garden. Treasure in the Royal Tower vibes. And saw Cinderella etched into a cement stone. And Nancy wondered if the treasure could be there. And if that was the clue that Juliana could use to confirm who she is. Because everything just magically works out. Um, (laughs) Next thing the girls know, they hear footsteps. And it's Daniel Hector. He doesn't see anything in the garden because they hid. So he leaves. And the girls hope that he left a door in the castle unlocked. And he did. Because once again, everything works out. So they're able to escape through the castle and get to the main entrance. But the dogs are there. They growl because they see the girls carrying that metal box. And they think that the girls are stealing something. So Nancy takes everything out of the metal box. She hides the box in a closet in the castle. And they get past the dogs. But Daniel Hector sees them and hollers after them. But the girls don't listen and they run to get away. Yeah. (laughs) So the girls get over the wall, they get to the highway, and soon they see Lieutenant Masters, because once again, it's a perfect world and everything happens that way. The girls tell her what's going on, so she radios headquarters, and she asks them to get a boat out to save Salty, because you got to remember this point, Salty is still wherever they left him. He was, like, looking for clams. So they all get there, and his boat is gone. But they quickly find him, and he's kind of hurt, kind of beat up, but okay. He overheard the men saying that they planned to kidnap Nancy, so the police take Salty to get him checked out by a doctor, because he's not Nancy, so he'll he'll get checked out, and he'll get the medical care he needs, and to get any information he knows about the men that he saw. So the girls head home, Carson is there, so Nancy shows him the contents of the metal box, and he tells her that he found Emily who is Juliana's nurse, and that she's going to meet Nancy the next day to give her all the information she knows. At this point, only 10 days are left to find Juliana. But Carson says even if they don't find her, that Nancy has built up quite a case against Daniel Hector, so he shouldn't be able to get any of the estate. So we're kind of in good shape, but of course we still want to find Juliana and help Mrs. Fenimore and Joan. So, before leaving town to head to meet Emily, Nancy and Carson stop by the Fenimores and learn that Teddy and his mother have moved. That's no surprise at all. Yeah, kind of a weird development. Um, Teddy had told Joan that his father knew how to make money without working for it, which worried Mrs. Fenimore. And she says his father's name is Cobb, like Cobb and Biggs at the castle. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so things are starting to fall into place. So Joan told all kinds of people about the property that Juliana was supposed to inherit, including telling Teddy's family. Like, of course, like kids have no filters. No, especially at that age. They'll tell you everything they know. Yeah. And not think twice because they, they're kids. They don't know. I know. So Nancy and Carson leave and head to the police station to update the police officers what's going on. And they learned that Cobb Hooper, which is Teddy's dad, has a prison record because, of course, he does. 
Uh, Nancy looks at his mugshot and confirms that that's the person that hit her in the boat and he was at the castle. The Drews then head to Hampton for their early meeting with Emily, the nurse, and she was late because the nurse that was supposed to relieve her was late. So it happens. Emily says she knew Juliana as Mrs. Flower and she thought right away that it was probably an assumed name. She said she never had messages or visitors and she told them she didn't want anyone to know what had happened to her. When Juliana learned that she'd be crippled, she was very upset and said his Cinderella will never dance for him again. That's so That's really sad. But clearly the Cinderella thing is that's playing a part of this. Yeah. Emily did not know where Juliana went after leaving the hospital. She said Juliana was always getting her to get her gardening magazines. And Emily wondered if she went to a place close to there called Clover Farm. So the Drews decided to go there to investigate. On the way there, they asked at multiple places for directions, but no one knew what they were talking about. Which I thought that was weird. They kept driving and eventually found a place called Garden of Flowers in French with the name Juliette Fleur on the sign. And Nancy said, you know, we need to stop here and look. They get to the house and they talk to some people that were working outside who say Juliana isn't there. But because some government man came the night before and took her, said something about income tax and her maybe going to prison. But sounds pretty fake to me. So Carson calls the IRS because again, confidentiality doesn't exist. That bugs me still. (laughs) The government tells Carson, a random person, that Juliana doesn't owe any money. She's not in any trouble. Um, It's a hoax. And so clearly she's been kidnapped. Like, why would she not double check with, you know, all of this stuff? Like, why would you just go trusting right away? I feel like she's been through a lot. And she's probably somewhat trusting of people. And doesn't quite know. Because I feel like when it's something serious like that, I feel like your emotions take over. And you don't necessarily think logically. Because I feel like um, that's how, here we go, going into speakeasy. I feel like that's how like scammers get old people like with phone scams because you know you say words that are dramatic that's going to upset these people they're not going to think logically they're going to do whatever you tell them to do you know what i mean yeah that's kind of what i thought one of the stories that i've heard a few times where like this arabian prince is contacts like an uh, older person wanting money for whatever the reason i'm like yeah. I feel like that's one of the popular ones. Yeah. You know, so. Hey, hey. So. Gotta be careful out there. Yes, you do. 100%. Um, so Carson and Nancy head back to the hotel and they see a newspaper headline saying that Daniel Hector found Juliana and that she was in South America. So he's going to present a fake Juliana. So that's why the real Juliana was kidnapped. So it's all starting to make sense. So Nancy and Carson head home. Carson has to go to his office to do some work while Nancy decides to go see Mrs. Fenimore and Joan. Nancy tells her what's going on, how she thinks Juliana was kidnapped and this fake person is in her place. So they go to meet this fake Juliana And Mrs. Fenimore calls her out for it. But the fake Juliana has the other half of the torn note that says, Day the C-cam hiding may make me, then I shall be of 
you love Walt. <laughs> um, she says that she's the real Juliana, but has changed, obviously, in 10 years and couldn't marry Walt because she didn't love him. And she's going to get Daniel Hector to sell the castle and she's going to head back to Mexico. That from all that we've heard, that does not sound like Juliana. No, so suspicious. So Nancy remembers her half of the note. So the whole thing says, Dear C, someday the secret which I am hiding in a wall may make me famous. Then I shall be worthy of you. Love, Walt. Now that makes sense. So Nancy figures out Walt hid the dyes in the wall somewhere and had not sold his formula for the dye. So fake Juliana says Walt used to call her Sarita or Carita, which is obviously the wrong name. Mm. Uh, Mrs. Fenimore gets upset and tells the fake Juliana that she is a fake. So Nancy and Mrs. Fenimore leave and they kind of discuss what's going on. She's close, but she's not a match for the real Juliana. But she was convincing enough at first that it took Mrs. Fenimore a minute to realize it wasn't truly her sister, which I I can kind of see. I mean, 10 years is a long time. People can change, you know, so I I kind of see where that could be a mistaken identity. Um, The fake had big feet, but Juliana had small feet. So that was important. Um, Nancy took Mrs. Fenimore and Joan home. And stopped by Bess's house when she saw George's car out front. So she updated them on everything that had happened up to this point. Uh, Nancy stayed for dinner, but then went home. When she got home, the lights were off, but the front door was kind of open. Which is Yeah. Um, Then someone grabbed Nancy from behind. Nancy pretends to faint. Which that was a good one. I, I... Props to Nancy for that one. So one man took off to get the car and the man holding Nancy let go of his grip because he thought she fainted. So Nancy took her chance and ran to her father's room to call the police. That was smart thinking. I have a couple things. One, I read this thing about, you know, because it almost seemed like they were going to kidnap Nancy. Oh, yeah. So this thing that I read, it was like, it's harder for you to get kidnapped if you're, like, bigger in size. So eat that cake. That's right. By God. You do it. <laughs> eat that cake. The other thing is, is that I thought that Nancy had Carson's car. She did. So is Carson just going to take a taxi home? Or is Nancy going to go get him? Like, <laughs> I was confused. That's a good point. I didn't think about that because it's not like he could call like an Uber because obviously that didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think about about that. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Bella, stop. Sorry. The dog was licking the carpet. Uh, <laughs> so um Nancy, like I said, ran to her father's room to call the police. And so the man that was holding her took off since he couldn't get into the room. And Nancy finally found Hannah bound and gagged. Poor Hannah. Hannah had thought that it was Nancy or Carson that had forgotten their key. 
So when someone knocked, she just opened the door and the man came inside. Cardinal rule number one. Don't just open your door without realizing who's out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just simple safety. Like, make sure you know who it is. And I kind of wish that, obviously hotels have this, but you know, like the little peephole, so you Mm -hmm. can see who's there. But even still with the peepholes, the person that you know could be standing like right there, but you don't know who's on either side of the door. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's true. So the police came and Hannah described what had happened. And Nancy thought that the men were probably Cobb and Biggs. Um, The police arranged for a plainclothes detective to watch over the Drew house. Carson came home. Didn't say how he came home, just that he came home. (laughs) Uh, He figured out what had happened. And he again urges Nancy to be careful. Nancy thinks that Daniel Hector is behind this giving other people orders to do things. Um, The next day, Nancy called Bess and George to go with her to the Heath estate again. Nancy told them everything that had happened and uh, left a note at the house to um, contact Lieutenant Masters about what's going on. Nancy thinks that Daniel Hector is holding the real Juliana at the castle until the fake Juliana can stake her claim, and she thinks he tried to have Nancy kidnapped to keep her... From going to the castle. That all makes sense. Mm-hmm. So. With that line of thinking. Nancy thinks that the real Juliana. Is being held at the castle. So she wants to go check the tower first. But no one was there. But then she found the trap door again. Mm-hmm. And tools to open it. And so they go down there. And there's Juliana. But she called herself Mrs. Fleur. So this dungeon reminds me of captive curse yeah yeah (laughs) um nancy tells her that she knows she's juliana and she finally admits it but she's sad about walt dying because i guess she didn't know that that had happened and she was sad about her beauty being gone yeah you know i understand Nancy explains that she is supposed to get the estate and that the IRS is not after her. That was all fake. Juliana said um, she had sent Mrs. Fenimore, her sister, a letter um, at the beginning of her retirement, using air quotes, but it came back. Um, Juliana now learned that she has a niece, Joan, and she decides to get the estate fixed up and to help other handicapped children and to help her sister and Joan. Um, just as they were leaving, the trap door was closed on them and something heavy was placed on top. The girls try to get out, but they can't. But Nancy assures them she left a note at home telling where they were going. Nancy tells Juliana everything that had happened and she tells them how Walt called her Cinderella and had her make a footprint in cement for the garden. So there we go. George just so happened to have a police whistle because of course she does um so she used it to attempt to get help since they couldn't find another way out of there uh and of course it works suddenly police show up the girls tell them that they're under the trap door in the tower one of the police officers just so happened to be lieutenant masters because once again perfect world (laughs) and she said that hannah had gotten nancy's note and had gotten in touch with her 
the cops had already gotten Cobb and Biggs and Daniel Hector. They learned that Cobb and Biggs had torn the vault note in half, hoping that Daniel Hector would put up more money for the second half of the note. Teddy had told Cobb, his father, that Juliana was missing, and he learned it from Joan. Biggs thought his former employer hid stuff, so he convinced Cobb to help him, and they convinced Daniel Hector to hire them to look for this treasure. They would find stuff and they would keep it. Daniel Hector tried to say there's nothing but debt in the estate. Nancy asked him to explain, but he didn't want to. Nancy and Lieutenant Masters had, and Juliana headed to Mrs. Fenimore, and she is ecstatic that her sister's been found. Nancy tells her that Juliana is in a delicate condition, but she handles it okay. Juliana accepted the estate and is having Carson take care of things for her legally. Totally makes sense. Cobbs and Biggs, uh, Cobb and Biggs admitted to having found the perfected dye formula in the walls, but they did surrender it. Carson had an analysis done of the ink, even though it was dried up, and it was made with sea salt and spring water and would be expensive to make, but profitable. So weird. Daniel Hector had made illegal loans, and he was going to have to pay them back. So Juliana got the estate and twenty dollars. Um, <laughs> uh, he had faked records saying that he had spent tons of money on detectives and had in turn pocketed that money and had spent it. So it was gone. Oh, yeah. uh, which that sucks. Yeah. Uh, the estate is in bad shape, and Juliana can't afford to keep it. Nancy didn't want to give up, so she drove to the estate days later to try to find the treasure because it was supposedly hidden in plain sight, like we said earlier. Nancy then realized the water in the garden was spring water and that people could stay there to use it or it could be bottled and sold. Um, So Carson has the water tested and turns out it has minerals in it and further searches of the ground showed more springs of water uh, Nancy also found a company in New York that would buy the shells, the mollusk shells she had found to make mother of pearl jewelry. Mm-hmm. Carson contacted a bottling company who offered to financially back converting the castle to a health resort. That gives Juliana the ability to convert part of the property to a place for handicapped children and for her sister and niece. Mm-hmm. Then it jumps forward in time, which we haven't had a book do that yet. No. Um, jumps to a year later, Nancy and the crew and Lieutenant Masters and Carson were invited to the estate to see how it had changed. They learned that Teddy was sent to a special school, whatever that means, and is doing better and that his mother is being made to work. Serves her right. Mm-hmm. Juliana and Joan get along really well and Joan is doing much better. Juliana sold the farm and made a profit off of it. And uh, last but not least, Carson had found the ring that Walt had made for Juliana and gave it to her. (sighs) That was eight pages of notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a lot happened. Um, The book was good, a little unbelievable in parts. But again, I mean, you know, it was entertaining. So, you know. Do all these kids live at the castle or do they just come visit i don't know but the way that i read it was like it was like a home for them okay so they must it doesn't really say but that's just what i thought yeah so and um yeah almost i like i liked it too (laughs) 
And Juliana essentially put herself in witness protection. Yeah. And she did it. She didn't even have the cops to help her, essentially. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel like that's something that was much easier to do back then. I feel like with everything being electronic and, you know, people being nosy today, it's a lot harder to get away with stuff like that. But. Yeah. To each their own. But, yeah, I mean, that that's essentially it. So, I mean, a, a good book. Uh, a lot happened. Kind of unbelievable in some parts. But, I mean, I can look past that. Yeah. So. Next week's episode is going to be a fun one. It is. We'll be talking about uh, game number 26, Tomb of the Lost Queen. And we will have another special fun interview at the end and who is going to be our special guest with us for that friend of the podcast Hugh came on and uh because we've already filmed this episode he came on and we discussed obviously the game and a little bit about what's currently going on with Nancy Drew game number 34 yet to be named so check out Hugh we talk about him a lot he's been on the podcast a few times in the past and hopefully will be again in the future check out his channel because he's constantly updating it um he is staying uh very current with all the stuff that her interactive is releasing as far as nd game 34 and he is in the middle currently of uh live streaming every game um i think he's doing thursday evenings um, so check out his, uh, YouTube. It's Andy walkthroughs. Check him out. He's always fun to watch. I got one more joke. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> what did the flower say after it told a joke? I don't know. I was pulling your leg. Ah! <laughs> oh my God. And speaking of pollen, it's springtime. Uh-huh. And I don't know if where you live, Alexa, if it's, problematic but let me tell you this part of the country this part of the united states specifically where i'm at is horrible for allergies to the point that i'm not originally from this area i'm from originally about an hour away from here more in the central part of the state and i never had allergies until i moved to this part of the state and it's not horrible horrible it's more uncomfortable than anything to the point that I have to take a daily allergy pill, like over the counter pill. (sighs) But I mean, I just washed my car on Saturday and there's a lovely little yellow film of pollen on it already. Oh man. It's so annoying and it's just, it's everywhere. And so everybody sounds congested. So you don't know if people are sick or if they just have allergies or both like, it's rough. So yeah. Anyways, I don't know if you have to deal with that where you're at, but down here, girl, it's bad. Yeah, I've got to deal with some of that too. <sighs> it's not fun. <laughs> no. So kind of topical that we were reading a book kind of with a little bit of gardening element to it. As always, listeners, you can find us on Instagram 
at River Heights Buzz. You can email us at riverheightsbuzz at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook in our Facebook group and on Twitter at River Heights Buzz with just one Z. Keep an eye out for next episode, game number 26, Tomb of the Lost Queen, with a super secret, <laughs> special, almost not so secret, guest interview. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye, guys.